This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships XL editions. A special series of large format ships officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Enterprise D for 20% off the regular price with free shipping. For details and to order, visit st-starshipsxl.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 258, Genesis. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up. You know, I remember starting this show, and, uh, well, in the beginning, there was nothing. Then Rod said, let's do a podcast. And we did a podcast. And it was fine. See, I'm riffing there, John. I'm riffing on. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a oh oh. Then that's... a Genesis riff because uh, you know th- the name of this episode is uh, Genesis. Got it. Got it. See, I thought we did the Genesis thing uh, with Star Trek Two. <laughs> we did. We, we did yeah. do the Genesis thing with Star Trek Two. Did we actually do that bit for Star Trek Two? I don't know. I haven't we, listened. We to didn't. That. Although, although Doctor McCoy did his bit. Sure. With, you know, watch out. We'll do it for you in seven minutes. You know? <laughs> really, John, you must learn to contain your passions. <laughs> uh, John's got trivia coming up in just a moment. We've got recaps and all kinds of fun stuff. But first. But first, a word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Now, when you hear the care that Blue Apron takes with sourcing its ingredients, with changing up recipes, with delivering food directly to you, you may think Blue Apron is expensive. Not really. Yeah. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You'll be making things you didn't even know you could make before. For example, uh, John, did you see the picture we got from Vicky on Facebook? Okay, now here's the thing. I didn't see the latest one, but but Vicky and I have had this ongoing correspondence sending each other pictures of our Blue Apron food. Oh, there you go, because she sent a beautiful picture of a vegetable pad thai that she has deemed uh, her best meal yet. Ah, then then I have to go look as soon as we finish recording. I will go look and I will thank Vicky. Now, you said that you've been you said that you've been sending pictures back and forth with her. Uh, What wonderful pictures have you sent? Uh, A lot. Um, I've I've done uh, one of my favorites of all time was a uh, a spicy Cajun-y catfish with an apple slaw that was just knockout. And it's another one of those dishes that I could do on my own if I wanted to, because once I learned the technique, um, it's something I could do over and over again. And I got a couple of different dishes. I I love eggplant. Uh, I love all food. I don't know if you knew that about me. I love all food. Seems to be. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love eggplant. And, and I got it uh, in a couple of different months, prepared a couple of different ways. And uh, sometimes it was a star of the show. And sometimes it was just an extra ingredient, just a little a little extra love in that dish. And doing uh, roasting one way and then roasting one time with miso. And it was absolutely delicious. And now I do that again because I can just throw it on anything. So uh, Blue Apron has taught me how to be creative with ingredients and use them in different ways. Now, the cool thing is John is saying, you know, he can go out and get the ingredients that he's gotten in past recipes and put them into his own cooking. But the ingredients that they send you, we really can't say enough good things about either. I mean, both their quality and their sustainability. Uh, Meats are responsibly raised. Seafood is sustainably sourced. Produce comes from farms that practice regenerative farming, all of which leads to good meals about which you can feel good as well. And I will say, too, the holidays are going to be a busy time because if you're listening, you know, soon after we record this, we're getting close to that. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice to have some good meals for which you don't have to plan or shop, considering all the other planning and shopping you're going to have to do? Um, So if that sounds good to you, it is time to get Blue Apron a try. And you can do that 
And you can check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first I am going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, holy cats, we got like, I think this is like the seventh to last episode, maybe. Oh. I know. You're killing me. Oh, trivia will go on, but really one of the last versions of of, of trivia for TNG uh, presented by our pal, Mr. John Champion. Well, here we go, Ken. Today's episode, Genesis, was written by... All right, do I... Do I really even need to explain this? Go ahead. Uh, it was written by Brandon Braga. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm expecting a, some real, like, hardcore, like, studying the human condition this episode, really sort of digging into uh, digging into deep morality and uh, and stuff like that. You see that that's, it, you know, it's funny because the last few episodes that Brandon has written... Um, not really that. Oh. Uh, really more like... Um, uh, well, now, remind me, remind me, because I'm having trouble. Which ones were the ones that he's written recently? I can't... Uh, that I'm having a little... Um, so, yeah. Now, most recently, uh, Eye of the Beholder. Mm. Uh, not not to be confused with the Eye of the Beholder from the animated right, series. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Eye of the Beholder, I remember we said it seemed like there could be some real depth there, but they chose uh, chose to go a different direction. They chose a ghost story, actually. Yeah, <laughs> they did, um, as a matter of fact. And then, funny enough, uh, Sub Rosa, oh. where they also did a ghost story. Yeah. See, we found a lot of deep stuff to talk about in that episode, but I don't think it was stuff we saw on the screen. Mm, mm. Okay, I'm going to throw another one at you here. All uh, right, all right. Phantasms. Oh, man. I'm, I can't remember. I seriously cannot remember. Here we go. Uh, crew has nightmares, and uh, Data has a phone in his chest. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay, so so this is a, a Brennan Braga episode, then. This is a Brennan Braga episode. There, I, I take back most of what I said a minute ago. <laughs> now, here's what's really interesting. This episode was directed by Gates McFadden. Mm-hmm. And a uh, little bit of a landmark here. Uh, now, she's not the first woman to direct an episode of Star Trek. That honor goes to Gabrielle Beaumont. Uh, but Gates is the first woman who was a cast member to direct an episode. We'll have to wait a little bit longer for the next one when we roll around to Voyager. Uh, now, this is Gates's only professional film or TV directing credit. But remember that she's been working in theater and dance for longer than she has been in front of the camera. She worked with Jim Henson. She was a choreographer for the movie Labyrinth. Um, That's so amazing. Yeah, right? Yeah. And we get rid of Dr. Crusher pretty early in this episode, so Gates could spend her time behind the camera. Um, incidentally, the Northridge earthquake in 1994 disrupted the production schedule and meant ultimately that she couldn't finish her preferred cut of the episode. Um but yeah, that this is this is her work. This is her premiere and only directorial credit uh, in uh, in film or TV. Now, this episode got three Emmy nominations: uh, sound mixing, sound editing, and of course, makeup. It won the Emmy for sound mixing. And for those of you who may not know, I think we've talked about it before on our show. But uh, mixing is a category about the overall sound of a show. Editing is more about the creation of individual sounds and effects. So this one won for mixing. Now, I just mentioned makeup for this show, and Michael Westmore benefited from this episode being scheduled right after the holiday break so he could spend a little extra time on the very complex effects that he had to create. 
There is a deleted scene uh, on the bridge, if you're watching the Blu-ray version of this, just a, a little bit more on the bridge with Worf complaining that Troy turned up the temperature, then Riker looking confused. Uh, but, but very importantly, there's more screen time in that deleted scene for Lieutenant Junior J. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. you get to talk in the deleted scene? <laughs> oh, no, of course not. Okay. No, no, no. Um, but a little little better shot of her in that okay. one. Uh, but a- actually, that scene does help. It-, it hides a transition. When Deanna leaves to go take a bath, Riker then relieves Worf, because Worf is being surly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why Riker is then on the bridge with Lieutenant Junior J at Tactical, because that happens at a very short time. And it's just a cut from one scene to another. But but this actually explains that transition. So light on content, but it fills that gap for the, the, the sort of the blocking of the episode. Now let's talk about guest stars. And again, not really. Um, we do have the last appearance here of Dwight Schultz as Reginald Barkley on televised Next Gen at this point. He'll be back, though, in an upcoming movie and later in Voyager. And Patty Yasutake is back for her penultimate appearance on TNG on the small screen. Oh, and uh, we have a gruesome death for another guest in this episode, Ensign Dern. He's played by Carlos Ferro, and he is torn up real good. They tell us that we lost our tails, evolving up from little snails. I say it is all just wind and sails. Are we not Starfleet? Prologue. Tonight, 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 there's chaos in sickbay. Riker has cactus thorns in him after rolling around with a female crew member in the Arboretum. Reg Barclay has kind of a flu, which Dr. Crusher treats by activating the T-cells of a dormant gene. Data's cat Spot is pregnant, and so it turns out is Nurse Ogawa. Act 1. Time to blow things up. Worf has been tinkering with the photon torpedoes, and they'll use a field with many too many asteroids for target practice. It works okay. Except that one of the torpedoes zips away on its own and can't be destroyed remotely by Worf's invisible touch. Data and Picard, after some protest from Riker, will have to retrieve it with a shuttle. Before they leave, Data enlists Barclay to help out with Spot, should she give birth to kittens while he's gone. Seems like he's the only one on board other than Data that the cat actually likes. With Picard and Data away, Worf is tasked with solving all the problems of his failed guidance system and weapons upgrades. He's getting testy, and Riker asks him to take a break, which leads us to 10 Ford, where Worf is eating just so much food. He's really going at it with a vengeance. Deanna Troy joins him. They were supposed to have lunch together, and she's a bit testy that he started without her. No problem. She'll catch up by ordering a double caviar and then all the water. Seriously, all the water that she can handle. She says the Enterprise is dry, and it seems like what she really wants is a home by the sea. Worf is still so worked up, beating himself up about the errors he made in the weapons guidance system, and Troy says he should get some rest. Cut to Worf, in his space pajamas and designer sheets, being very restless until he starts tearing up those sheets and the memory foam underneath them and bawling up on the floor like some kind of animal. Act 2. In engineering, Geordi and Barclay are working on resolving some of the oddities that have cropped up around Worf's torpedo failure, power fluctuations, phase discriminators, all of the above. It's more than Riker wants to hear or can even comprehend at the moment. And when an alert pops up about a plasma conduit, Barclay and Geordi need to go investigate. Barclay is acting like a guy who is downed a case of monster energy drinks, all fidgety and energetic. He's ready to do a quick repair, but Geordi notices that some kind of acid, an organic solvent, has actually eaten through the deck plating. Too tired to carry on at the moment, Geordi exits while Barclay buzzes around to try to solve this other problem. Meanwhile, newly minted Commander Deanna Troy has been in command on the bridge, but she's so uneasy, cold, and dry, and when she tries to adjust the environmental controls, Worf shoots back, figuratively speaking, of course, that it's already too hot. She leaves, saying she needs a bath. 
he just seems put off by anything she does. Riker is back on the bridge, but he seems disoriented, confused even, when asked about the performance review on the new weapon systems. A little embarrassing maybe for the guy in charge, and speaking of weapon systems, where is Worf? Well, he went to check on his girlfriend Deanna, who is indeed taking a bath, in her uniform, and shivering. Worf rushes in, not out of concern, but he seems in a violent rage. When he tries to pull Deanna out of the tub, she resists. The more she resists, the angrier he gets, and he bites her face. Now in sickbay, Deanna is still cold and thirsty. Nursegawa tells Dr. Crusher that there are more reports coming in about crew members who are either too hot or too cold. Might be some kind of virus. Checking out Worf, Dr. Crusher notices he has an odd growth on his neck, kind of like a venom sack. She asks him to open his mouth since he's not talking, and at that moment, he sprays her face with some horrible toxin. The doctor is put in stasis, but Ogawa reports to the bridge crew that she should be okay. Except that, you know, there's something going around, and it really is messing people up. Riker admits it. He can't concentrate. He's having trouble with decision-making. He's trying, but when it comes to command decisions, he's throwing it all away. When Geordi comes in for guidance on how to handle the wharf thing, who has now escaped and can't be tracked, he doesn't quite know what to do. When everyone leaves the room, Riker loses himself in confusion when he tries to send a message to Starfleet. Act 3. Remember when Picard and Data left to pick up that errant torpedo? Yeah, that was three days ago, and they are headed back, only to find that the Enterprise is adrift and not where she's supposed to be. At least they won't be shipwrecked. When they try to radio, there's no reply at all. Spooky. What they find on board is a quiet ship with faint animal noises all around. Most systems aren't working and the main computer is down, which means they'll have to keep it dark. In Deanna's quarters, the picture is a bit more grim. They find Deanna all right, face down, in too deep, in the tub, and turning into something non-human. An amphibian, specifically. And where she's injured, there's Klingon DNA. Things aren't much better on the bridge, where there's a dead guy at the con. Sensors show that the entire crew complement have been affected. Animals everywhere, with most of them centered in the Arboretum and Aquatic Lab, like it's some kind of artificial Congo. Oh, and there's Riker in Picard's ready room, looking positively Neanderthal. And what the hell is he trying to do with Livingston? And what the hell happened to Livingston? When Proto-Riker attacks, they stun him with a phaser. An analysis on a tricorder reveals that Riker is de-evolving. Act 4. Data's had some time. Wait a minute. So he is not man? <laughs> no, no, he is, he is Devo. D-E-V-O? He is Devo. D-E-V-O. Sorry to interrupt. Act 4. Data's had some time to work out what happened. An artificially introduced T-cell has made dormant pieces of genetic code reactivate among the crew, human and non-human alike, and it's spreading like a virus. Ready for some worse news? Picard has it too, and he has about 12 hours to go in his present form until he starts to de-evolve too. Data can do a good amount of work in his quarters since his computer is isolated from the main computer and he can turn it on again. In there, he and Picard find that Spot had kittens, which look fine, but Spot looks like an iguana with a lovely pink collar. Strangely, the virus wasn't passed on to the kittens, and it might have something to do with the immunities that are present for newborns. What is it they need from amniotic fluid? Antibodies! Antibodies! Just so happens that Nurse Ogawa conveniently revealed her pregnancy before Data left, that might be a lead to follow. The ship is rocked with a malfunctioning warp plasma vent, and checking out the problem through main engineering reveals that Barkley has turned into a horrific giant spider because de-evolution or something. Picard is really freaked out, and I don't blame him, but he is really scared in a very non-Picard way. 
Data remarks that as he is de-evolving, he might be taking on the trait of a rather skittish little animal that was the food for a larger beast. In sickbay, well, Nurse Ogawa is doing the best imitation of Dr. Zira that you have ever seen, and in her state, Data might be able to find those antibodies he needs. Also, whatever became of Worf is now a hulking, horrible monster beating down the door in the room they are in now. Act 5. That Worf thing is strong. Angry. Scary. We don't even know because all Data and Picard can see is the damage he's giving to the door right now. Picard is seriously freaking out, but he's kind of putting the pieces together about the Worf thing, probably beating down the door to get to his mate, the amphibious Troy. So, they'll use that as a lure. Data can synthesize Troy's pheromones, and Picard then draws Worf away from sickbay by anointing the air with the alluring smell of amphibian. Worf monster is chasing scared Picard all over the ship, and once Picard gets to the non-functioning turbolift, he's got a sort of escape route through the shaft and then a Jeffrey's tube, except that Worf Beast is after him and spraying that acidic goo everywhere he goes. It just so happens that in the area where Barclay had earlier set up a bypass, Picard can electrify the hull plating around him and stun Ogre Worf into submission. Not a moment too soon, either. Data has been hard at work this whole time. He was able to repair the genetic sequences in Nursagawa and release an antibody into the environmental systems on board. Lickety-split, it works. Next thing you know, the crew are all back to themselves. Dr. Crusher shows Barclay what went wrong. He has a very specific anomaly in his genetic chemistry, which made the artificial T-cell activate all of his dormant genes, not just the one she was targeting. Not really a place to lay blame on Barclay or Beverly. It's not about us, but it must be some misunderstanding. And look on the bright side. They can name this brand new awesome disease after the first one who expressed it, Barclay's Protomorphosis Syndrome. And that's all. <laughs> well done, sir. Thank you. Thank I got to say, this proves, though, that, you know, every Genesis song is somebody's favorite Genesis song and everybody and, you know, is also not somebody's favorite or at least favorite oh. or whatever. What you say yeah. about Star Trek, you know, I just can't believe you didn't say that the interior of the ship seemed like a land of confusion. <laughs> that was, you know, it, it was on the list. All right. It was on the list. Or the Arboretum yeah. might have been a land of confusion. They don't want to go yeah. there because it's a land of confusion. Um, mm -hmm. Seriously. I have to ask after this question and after, I mean, after this episode, excuse me, and after a lot of the things that happen on the Enterprise. Yeah. How is Picard not informing a family of one suicide per week? <laughs> because, yeah, because if this happened, just yeah, like, please, right. no yeah. more. The most you get, like, acknowledging how difficult this could be is when Deanna says, I better clear off my schedule. But that actually just seems to be about Reg. Yeah, right. And the fact that, oh, now he's going to have this big head because this thing is named after him as defective genes, his, his you know, horrible, ridiculously god-awful, nearly destroyed the Enterprise defective genes that Reg Barkley has. Right, right. And, and so she's going to have to clear off her schedule. And I'm thinking, or, you know, maybe you can talk to <laughs> the guy who nearly killed the woman that he seems to maybe kind of love, maybe. Or uh, mm. somebody killed that thing, you know, that was driving the ship. I'm sorry, the yeah. ensign. Something killed the ensign that's driving the ship. Eventually, they're going to figure out what did that. Yep. Probably Worf. And then, you know, that's going to be something he's going to have to work through as well. Oh. Yeah. But everybody's fine at the end of it, you know. Yeah, because remember, there's over a thousand people on board. And there's kids and there's <laughs> animals. And yeah. we just don't know what they turned into and what yeah. ate what. I, I will tell you, I did find it interesting that they did say that, you know, the largest concentrations were in the Arboretum mm -hmm. or in um, the Aquatic the, Lab, the water park. Yeah, the, the Aquatic yeah. Lab. Thank you very <laughs> much. Close enough. Yeah, wet and yeah. wild. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Come to Hermitage Landing, which, uh, yeah, somebody who lives in the Nashville area or grew up in the Nashville area in the 1970s, busting a gut right now, I promise, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Hermitage Landing, that was all their age. Yeah, we really only, it's again an amazing coincidence, we pretty much only saw animals that look like the people we already knew. Yeah, yeah. That's so weird how I that know. happens. Yeah. yeah, so strange for a, such a big ship. Um, 
Look, there's a lesson we can get out of the way right away in this show. Mm-hmm. Seriously, all of you within the sound of my voice, don't try to diagnose yourself. Nothing good can come from that. You might be turning into a spider, and you wouldn't know until it's too late anyway. So step away from WebMD, let your doctor do their job. All right. So you think it was uh, 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 Reg's fault then, this whole thing? No, not, not, no, not saying it's somebody's fault, <laughs> uh, because we, we clearly, well, okay, look, at the end of the episode, he says, so this is my fault. Right. And she says, no, in a way, it's mine. Actually, Beverly, it is your fault. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, she she came up with the uh, with the plan. Yeah. And she's like, we're going to implement this plan. Oh, but here's the thing. It was a mistake. It was an honest mistake. I assume, though, that that's a thing they just do, right? Because sure, when yeah, she said yeah. it out loud, I was like, isn't that like, you know, gene therapy, which is like one of those things that they sort of frown on in Star Trek? Yeah, well, hmm. But this is yeah. one that apparently we have down, except we actually don't have this one down. I'm wondering, I wasn't even thinking about this for later in the show, but is this like sort of like, a, are they pulling a, pulling a slow Miri here? Like, Ooh. hey, don't don't mess with your genes, man, because right, right, because they look fine even if they don't. <laughs> yeah, I have another question here. Mm. Um, can can you just go get a photon torpedo? <laughs> I mean, because we we watch it; it's a great effect when we see the three fire and the two hit, and the one just zooms away, right, in the vacuum of space. Yeah. And it just keeps going and going. Does it slow down on its own? Hmm. Because even if it ran out of whatever is propelling it, it's still going <laughs> because it's space. And that thing was going really fast. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a way. To, I mean, maybe they put in like a retro thruster or something. Like if it gets all the okay. way to the end of its propellant and it still hasn't exploded, mm. then maybe maybe they put on retro thrusters to stop it. Because obviously it's missed its mark at that point, And you don't want to... Yep. It's like leaving uh, landmines laying around in a demilitarized zone or something like that. Mm. You don't want to yeah. do that, yeah. you know? Right. And so maybe there is a fail-safe built in, and hopefully that actually worked, where the guidance system that Worf designed did not. Now, mm. I do have to ask, who is it that's letting Worf design a guidance system anyway, and why? Because, I mean... <laughs> He's a good security guy, right? And he's a good fighter. And he may be able to think tactically. All that's fine. But does he then have to design the tool that he's going to be using? I mean, it's like if they'd said to Patton, all right, well, I like your idea. Go build a bunch of tanks. And and then (laughs) we'll see how this does. I mean, you know, Worf's the... This is going to sound like a weird statement. Worf's the thinker in this situation. Somebody else needs mm-hmm. to be the doer. Somebody else needs to be the guy who, you know, builds the guidance system. Yeah. When he's talking to, when he's talking to Deanna and he's like, I built that guidance system. And she's like, ah, oh, well, there's your trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, until now, I had no idea that you could build a guidance system. <laughs> exactly. Are because, you, yeah. Have you been taking a night course in engineering? Have you been hanging right. out with Jordy a lot? I mean, because you're really, not, you're not a physicist nope. as far as we know, right? Yeah, yeah. Nor is he, well, any kind of engineer as far as we know. He's mm-hmm. good with a bat left. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's a brawler. You give him that too. I would think that uh, Worf's contribution to that whole conversation would be like he goes to an engineer, physicist, or whatever, and he says, "So right now we have photon torpedoes. I propose we make them blow up bigger." <laughs> So I have an idea for a guidance system. What's that? A better one. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. we're on it. We're on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a line here early in the episode. Uh, Data informs Nosegawa. Uh, I have spent the last nine weeks as an expectant parent. I would be happy to share my insights with your husband. Data falling into that all-too-human trait of presuming to tell other people life advice from your ah, own experience. Don't you hate uh-huh. that? Don't you hate that? Right? Man. Right? So I've got a... Yeah. Uh, I, I, have you ever owned a dog? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A couple of times in uh, life. Puppies? Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Because I, yeah. I don't have kids. But mm-hmm. it got to the point that when I got my dog and he was young, I didn't want to take him for walks anymore. Because it turns out, what you find out when you're walking a puppy... Uh, you know nothing. Yeah, right. And everybody else who's ever seen a dog knows more about raising your dog than you. And your five-minute yes. walk ends up taking 45 minutes because somebody's going to tell. They were seriously an old guy in my neighborhood at the time who like mm-hmm. had like a, like a schnauzer. And that thing, because he was like in his 70s, not the schnauzer. 
Mm-hmm. The, guy, the guy was like in his 70s, and he was practically being dragged down the street by a schnauzer. But he would stop long enough to tell me how I should be raising my dog. So, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I've always said that, you know, the, the only thing worse than having a bad cold is the people who presume to tell you what to do when you have a cold. <laughs> you know? Right. Because you're an idiot. That's the problem. You're, that's how you got your cold. Yeah. So, really, you yeah. do need their yeah. help, John. You absolutely See? do. Hey, hey, uh, speaking of puppies. Mm-hmm. There are cats just running around the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> okay? It's like it's like Disneyland overnight. Just the, the feral cats just come out. You That's know, what happens. I was really honestly hoping that Bob Barker was not a fan of TNG. Because how sad it must be for him to be sitting there going, really? 24th century still? Really? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're an android. You're a thinking android with no excuse for not getting that done because you don't sleep. Have your cat spayed or neutered, mm-hmm. jerk. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, oh, uh, we we were hitting all the the mission log uh, top things here. We, we talked about puppies, <laughs> and now now we're going to talk about food. Oh, I, and space pajamas. I had that earlier. Yes, you did. Um, food, food. Deanna is eating caviar. Uh, I applaud that. And Worf is eating everything. So just looking at this, so he had octopus, which is delicious, um, and a turkey leg, because obviously he missed being on planet Renfair. <laughs> um, I also, I, I did a freeze frame there. I saw long beans. I saw probably potato salad, some kind of smoked fish, like a kipper or a herring or something. Yeah. Uh, I think there was some dolmad in there. Interesting. I think there was some, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and then I think there was some kind of like Sichuan chicken or something in the upper right end part of the shot. And then what looked like takeout from Yoshinoya in the lower right part of the shot. Hmm. Um, what I'm saying is that I, Tin Ford, I love that it's sort of like the buffet on a cruise ship. You can just get anything <laughs> all the time. And so all that comes to your porch in a box. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Oh, look, I got the octopus and turkey leg set this week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> nice. you think you can't prepare that. And you're right. Leave that to a professional, okay? Because the whole octopus leg, that's not, not going to be in a box in your front door, I don't think. No. Uh, I mentioned her in the trivia, but Lieutenant Junior J is all up in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. And I bet, here's my prediction, because we don't see her transformation, I bet she turns into an equally awesome version of Lieutenant Junior J. That is a really interesting idea. Um, I, however, think she turns into Gozer. Oh, oh. Significantly yes. older, okay. has you yep. know gone backwards in her mm-hmm. evolution, but still just totally cool. In fact, mm. I, you know, I've never seen the two of them in a room together. Just saying. No. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Hey, uh, we heard from one of our dear friends on Twitter. Uh, Livingston Picard, who who is uh, on Twitter, by the way, if you didn't know, yeah, um, who who pointed out that he devolved into a jellyfish in this episode, and I just you know look, I, I can't do anything about it now, all these years later, but um, we're sorry for the indignity that you suffered. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, we didn't notice that mm-hmm. until Livingston himself brought that up. But, pointed yeah. it out yeah and then yeah. i had to put it in there yeah mm-hmm. so you gotta figure the whole time that uh you know everybody's devoing on the enterprise mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that uh you know it's probably starting to get a little crazy right yeah. people are starting to get a little nuts um in the midst of all that though it was good for someone to adjust the collar on iguana spot after yes. you know she transformed into iguana spot because that collar right. yeah was still still <laughs> perfectly placed there i think yeah. to let us know yeah yeah, either well, so either Reg did it because he just doesn't care mm-hmm. at a certain point. He's just like, "Oh, look, now it's an iguana." Or again, with just all the animals running around the Enterprise at all times, <laughs> somebody was there to make that happen. <laughs> it was like, "Oh, you know, last week it was a cat. Now, look, here's an iguana. Well, it belongs to somebody." So, <laughs> a little bit of uh, a question here: uh, 
Why did they take Troy out of her quarters and bring her to sickbay in the first place? Hmm. Wait, do you mean after she got bitten on the face or when it was just Data and Picard? When it was just Data and Picard, they go ah, find her ah, in the tub. Ah. And then they're in sickbay a moment later. Yes. And it's like, oh my gosh, Monster Wharf is trying to break through <laughs> to find Deanna. It cut to her face. It was like, here. Right, all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Suffocating, I yeah. would think. Yeah. Yeah. You ask how yeah. they got Troy to sickbay. Uh, my answer is they did not get Troy to sickbay. I think the real question here is how did nobody catch that continuity error? Okay. And then follow-up question, how did this script get made? We are pinheads now. We are not whole. We are pinheads all. Jago homo. Are we not Starfleet? We're so close to that point in the show where we get to do the deep dive into what Genesis has to offer us. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, Eagle Moss. Now, you've heard me and Ken talk about how excited we are about the teeny tiny spaceships. But you know what? We and other fans were equally excited to see the official Star Trek Starships XL editions. Those are the larger ships created in response to fan demand, officially authorized by CBS Studios, and featured the premium format starships from across all the Star Trek series, plus each of the movies from the motion picture all the way through to Star Trek Beyond. Now, here's how cool all of these are. First of all, each one of the ships has gone through extensive reference study and been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. And you say, expert... Here's my money. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're also uh, among the largest starships that have ever been produced by Eagle Moss, offering the ultimate in detail and craftsmanship. We've talked before about how amazing the ships that'll fit in the palm of your hand look. Those would be the teeny tiny starships John mentioned a moment ago. You get bigger, you've just got a bigger palette with which to work. And so not only are they able to get you know all that same richness and detail, but you're able to see it. Well, you know, it, it's bigger. So... Uh, you can see it better, especially if you have old eyes like mine. Uh, each ship is die-cast, hand-painted, and comes with an in-depth magazine featuring all kinds of information, both about how the ship was built in our universe and what the ship has done in the Star Trek universe. And, of course, it comes with that super cool collector stand so that it looks like your ship is ever flying. Yeah, you know, we obviously had them on our table at Vegas, and it never ceased to amaze me. People come by and pick it up and go, oh, wow, this is this is really nice, and it's heavy, and look at the detail. And to this day, there's a couple of them sitting on the desk, and people come by, and they see it. And go, what is this? Well, go ahead and pick it up. It's incredible, right? And they go, oh, wow, this is, this is really nice. So, yes, it's one of those things that you want to see, you want to pick up, you want to see to believe. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are two ways – you can get these XL edition starships and try them out for yourself. Now you can subscribe risk free. You start out with a eight and a half inch XL edition Enterprise NCC 1701D for 20% off the retail price plus free shipping. You'll also receive three exclusive gifts for free worth $100 as part of your subscription and you may cancel at any time. Additional ships will arrive every other month for the same 20% off and with the same free shipping. Now, maybe you don't like the idea of ships just, you know, sailing in every now and then. I mean, personally, I love it because, you know, then you've got ship after ship after ship. You're building your own armada, as it were. But maybe there's just like one or two ships or a few ships that you want to get and you don't want to wait. You want to buy those ships specifically. Yeah. Okay. You can do that. Pick and choose your favorite XL Edition ships online and pay the regular price. Other XL Editions now available include the original USS Enterprise NCC-1701. There's the Enterprise E from the Next Generation movies and just added the 22nd Century Enterprise NX-01. The choice is yours. So go and make it at st-starshipsxl.com. That is st-starshipsxl.com for the official Star Trek Starships XL editions from Eagle Moss. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. So, you promised heavy, in-depth 
meaty discussion. Mm, yeah. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it's possible. I'm going to say it's possible that that ad was longer than this segment. <laughs> oh, really? And you, that you ad wasn't ad, long. That ad wasn't that long. No, but I, I think you underestimate when, when we start talking about a show for which we have no expectation. All right, dude. <laughs> well, all right. So I'm going to start out. I'll start out by saying this. I'm going to give the show some props um, that, yeah, not really a discussion point here, but but because it's Brannon and because it's weird, I, I got a distinct David Cronenberg body horror feel from this episode, mm-hmm. you know, just in terms of the style. And um, and I thought, wow, this is something that Star Trek doesn't really do. Um, also, uh, a bit of influence on the island of Dr. Moreau. Um, and I would suggest that if you get into that story, just go back and read the book by H.G. Wells from 1896. Uh, don't, don't watch the, uh, the movie with, um, uh, Marlon Brando, uh, because it's a more interesting story about making that movie than the actual movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. That, that was a mess. That, that was just a mess making that movie. Yeah. Um, now, uh, all right, this is one of those episodes that before we did it, mm-hmm. we got more than a few comments from our listeners. Uh, a, either saying, oh, this is horrible. I can't wait for you guys to tear it apart. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, we got some from people saying that they liked it. Um, but we, <laughs> okay. we got more. Yeah, we got more than a few from people just needing to point out that the science is absolute junk. Yeah. That, that, yeah. It's just, I want to say about my favorite one of those that we got about a month and a half ago, I think, because it was a while mm-hmm. ago, because this person saw this one on the horizon and I'm sorry, I can't yeah. remember who it's from, but I'm going to quote as best I can, uh, uh the email. Yeah. Um, I think it went, this is not how evolution works. <laughs> this is not how evolution works. This is not how evolution works. And I think they were probably said that like two more times. But, I think you, know, you captured that perfectly. Yeah, I believe yeah. in the law of threes on those kinds of things. So I'll right. stop there. But yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a good email. I was a big fan. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, from, from my understanding, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm mm. not a geneticist. Um, but pretty much if you change someone's <laughs> DNA, you kill that person. Okay. What are you saying? That's, I, I'm just... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Although, okay, now now here's what's neat, though. Uh, I do have an app. I, I was just uh, very curious about this. I have an app mm-hmm. that allows you to enter uh, two different species. Okay. Right? And then it shows you where the common ancestor on the family tree of life exists. Mm-hmm. Right? So you just type in. And so what I did is I typed in human and then something like, you know, brown recluse spider or something mm-hmm. like that. Just okay. whatever Barclay, I'm, I'm just going to say he became something like that. Um, common ancestor about 796 million years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying there's a shot. I'm saying there's a shot. I'm saying that, <laughs> you know, even before Brandon had that app on his phone, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that he was able to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so I I posed a question back in the observation section for this episode about how and why they got Deanna into sickbay from that tub where she clearly needed to live. Yes. And why wasn't she suffocating on that table? But I, I want to go back to a point earlier in the show mm-hmm. when Worf attacked her. Why in the world would they have Deanna and Worf in the same sickbay after he just attacked her? You see, it's really interesting because this episode was such a muddled mess as far as I'm concerned that I didn't even hit that part. Mm. When I saw that you were asking that question, though, it reminded me of when they said, no, Yeoman Rand, of course the captain didn't attack. Like, Let's go ask the captain. That See, that's exactly what I thought. I thought about that scene, too. Yeah. It's a bit like that, except not exactly like that. But man, man. I mean, you're right. They they absolutely shouldn't have been there. Although, really, what you need is a level-headed counselor who can maybe tell you that might not be a good idea. And, of course, you know, she's not a level-headed counselor right then because right. she's turning into a frog person or a fish person. I think a frog person, actually. <laughs> turning into a frog person, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And also just been bitten in the face by Worf. 
It happens. What I actually found, honestly, what I found most interesting about that whole thing is apparently Picard knows about Worf and Troy. Yeah, right? <laughs> because I yeah, didn't think it was even that much just, of a thing. But the captain's yeah. like, do you think he sees her as his mate? And then I wanted Data to be like, oh, you know about that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. It was absolutely horrible. Honestly, that is... We're not doing that part of the show yet, so I won't do that yet. No, I know. Yeah. I know. But... um. What else you got? Oh, wait. Have I not exceeded the time of the ad? <laughs> <laughs> Is that... I don't know. We'll have to go back and add it up later. All right. Because I took that as a challenge. I hope it succeeded. We must repeat. D-E-V-O. We must repeat. D-E-V-O. We must repeat. D-E-V-O. We must repeat. Okay, let us go. And now we come to the part of the episode where we sort of sum up our thoughts on Genesis. We talk about the messages, morals, and meanings and seeing whether the whole episode stands the test of time. Really quickly, I wasn't challenging you, actually, last segment, and I wasn't being quiet because I wanted to prove myself right, because I don't care. (laughs) The thing is, like, in all the times that we watched this, I was just like, it, 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 well, I I wasn't, I wasn't intentionally being quiet there. That's what Mm -hmm. I'll say. I'm going to throw the questions to you first, though. I guess we start with the one, um, does the episode Genesis hold up as far as you're concerned? All right. So I, I already mentioned in the last segment how we got a lot of comments mm-hmm. about this one being one of the worst, because, again, every episode is somebody's favorite and somebody's least favorite. And I even read, I think it was on Memory Alpha or something, that um, this got the, and I don't know who does this award, but the Spock's Brain Award for being the worst of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. And as you recall, you know, when you and I talked about Spock's brain, mm-hmm. it was by no means the worst of TOS. It's just no. sort of, it, it has this legend around it about being the worst yes. of the original series. But, but I think people remember that because it is so campy, whereas what are truly the worst episodes are just not memorable. Right. You know? So, big, big difference there. Um, this is... This is kind of a Star Trek. Well, it, it is a horror story, but it's a Star Trek horror story. And and to me, it was also a little bit reminiscent of the naked time. Not that because we got deep insights into characters, but, but just that for a little while, we got to change the cast personalities up a little bit. Like for that, that part in the first half where you get kind of Logie Riker and you get skittish, uh, well, you get skittish Picard later, but, but you, you get, uh, energetic, fidgety Barkley. You mm-hmm. just change up who they are a bit. And you get surly Worf. Well, he's always surly, but he's matched by Deanna's kind of surliness. And it, so I, I like that where we get to take the characters out of who we think they are. Um, the science is terrible. We, yes. look, we, we know that it, it's just, it's non-existent in this episode. Um, and this is one of the rare times where I read another review. Maybe it was on IMDb or something like that. And somebody just said, well, what if they had just taken this and said, well, it's an alien thing making this happen. Mm-hmm. So it, so then you, you take it off of trying to create a science answer. You just say, like, it, it's, a, it's a magic techno alien thing that's making this happen, that's making people change. Would we buy that story a little bit better? Yes. I think probably yes, yeah. So at the end, this sort of feels to me like a crazy over-the-top TOS almost episode to me. Warts and all. You know, you take an episode in TOS like it's like The Naked Time or like uh, The Deadly Years where just a thing is happening and it's making the characters change. But in that case, they're getting old. And this one, they're turning into animals. Whatever. Um, in it, 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 the case of what they did here, to me, it actually is effective horror. It's just not necessarily effective Star Trek. But then, as I said before, Star Trek is a pretty stretchy format. So I'm going to go way out on a limb here. And I'm going to say that 
in, in this weird way to me, if I can separate the Star Trek from from just what happens in the episode, mm-hmm. that you, you have body horror, you have a lot of dark, creepy scenes and kind of jump scare reveals, that it actually sort of works just as a piece of horror. If this had aired October 31st, 1991... Yeah, and 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 this is their cat's paw. I would say this is more effective than cat's paw. It's the, it's the Halloween horror episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and as a, an experiment in tone, an experiment in style. I mean, I think they knocked it out of the park with the makeup, and I think that even though certain areas of the episode are so dark. And I don't mean thematically, but just physically dark that you, you kind of lose orientation. You can't see stuff. I think mm-hmm. they actually do ratchet up the tension a bit, ratchet up the scares a little bit. So um, I, I, I find myself in a weird position of saying, this is not good Star Trek. This is not a good episode of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to cut them any slack at all and ask, did they accomplish what they were trying to do? And if what they were trying to do was just make a scary body horror, uh, you know, 48 minutes, then they did. So I'd rather watch this in Sub Rosa any day of the week. Wow, I think you're crazy. Really? I really do. Because right. this gave us nothing to play with. I don't really think you're crazy, but man, I just, I, <laughs> you have to take such a long walk to forgive this episode, I think, because mm-hmm. even, I mean, as you say, even as effective horror, I don't think it works because Worf is behind Picard and then Picard gets up in the Jeffrey's tube and then Worf is above Picard and actually spits down the venom at him and then Worf's behind him again. Then how did Troy get out of her bathtub and into sick bay? And why would they have done that? Because she's obviously better off where she was. I mean, this was just a series of sight gags, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and look, there are cute moments from the actors like Ogawa walking like a lower primate. I thought it was actually kind of funny when she's sort of like does her fists over each other as she's walking mm-hmm. away from the table. thought that was kind of mm-hmm. cool. Picard's skittishness as he starts to change was kind of cool. Barkley tilting his head in odd ways didn't really feel like a spider to me, but I mean, they were interesting choices, interesting changes in movement as mm-hmm. they begin to devolve, right? Three of the last six episodes of Next Gen have either been ghost or horror. <laughs> Sub Rosa, Eye of the Beholder, and Genesis. And then, yep. of course, we also have masks in there, which is neither horror nor um, nor um, nor a ghost story, but it doesn't go anywhere, and it doesn't try yeah. to. It doesn't try to impart anything. And so now we've got a... You can argue with whether or not Subrosa was trying to impart anything. I mean, certainly we took a lot out of it that I don't think anybody intended. I mean, it was bad. But, I mean, mm-hmm. so at least three of the past six, and maybe four of the past six, haven't even been trying to do anything, except for Phil 48 minutes. And that kind of bothers me especially because we're getting so close to the end. But I think that would have bothered me in season two as well. And we didn't have that happening in season two or season three. I mean, sometimes they miss the mark, but they were always trying to go somewhere. And now this is this is seriously another episode where it's just like, oh, you know, it would be fun. Well, it'd be fun to make Star Trek. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah, right. Even in passing here, and this is what I wasn't going to mention last segment. Even in passing here, we get a victimized Deanna which seems to be the same sort of fallback for TNG that will fix it in the transporter was for the animated series. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and so that's bad. And I mean, and I mean, and you could say, well, something happened to Beverly as well, but yeah, if you look back, <laughs> Deanna really, <laughs> Deanna really should have left this ship a long time ago. I mean, for as much bad stuff <laughs> as happens to her, but whatever. Um, the thing is, we hit a moment in this episode where I where I, I thought, you know how this could have been a fantastic episode? There's a way this could have been an amazing episode. Okay. Rather than watching them all devolve or de-evolve, um, Data and Picard could have left in the prologue. They could have come back in Act 1, and all of this could have happened. And then Data tells Picard, by the way, this is happening to you as well. So he knows that by the end of Act 1. And mm-hmm. then we get flowers for Algernon. Then we get, mm. you know, then we get mm-hmm. an examination of somebody who has found out they have a terminal illness or if somebody who's found out that they have, you know, dementia or Alzheimer's or, 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 or Parkinson's or something that's going to leave them debilitated. They're, they're, they're going to see their faculties go away. And then we could have had 
honestly, an amazing examination of what is happening to this individual as this goes. And still, you can throw in all your body horror and your, you know, and your horror stuff. You can still do all of that, too. Yeah. But then we have Picard actually dealing with something because nobody in this episode deals with anything. So it's like, we're all here. We're a little surly. Now we're monsters. Now we're better. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it's predictable and it's bad. I mean, it's just, I mean, it could have been, it could have been something, honestly. It's sort of like when we watch Shades of Grey and I was like, you know how this could have been good? <laughs> this is like that. Yeah. There are ways that this episode could have done all of the horror stuff that you wanted to do and actually addressed something. And instead, all we get is 48 minutes that we're not going to get back unless you watched it twice, <laughs> in which case... <laughs> 96 minutes that you're not going to get back. I watched it at least three times for this. Oh, I can't, I can't add that high. I'm sorry. I don't go above 100. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it, it, it's it, it's bad. There, there's no question about it. Um, yeah. It, I Just for some reason, I, I watched that. I, I had a really tough time with Subro, so I'm glad we had the conversation that we did about it. Um, yeah. Masks was a disappointment because you felt like they were right on the edge of being able to do something interesting, right? But they just didn't. They just turned it into the uh, uh, Brent's voices hour, and here's what we're going to do now. Um, and and with this, for some reason, I, I guess I felt more forgiving because it was just like, okay, if we just don't care and we're just going to throw everything that we can at the screen that is purely about the visual, purely about the the jump scares, then here you go. They they just sort of committed to that. They forgot to write a great script around it. Yeah, <laughs> there's no question about it. Let me, let me no question. Let me back up really quickly. I don't like Sub Rosa, and it occurs to me you sort of set up a, a bit of a Kobayashi Maru there. I don't think I would want to watch either of these again. But oh sure. But if yeah, my yeah, if yeah. my choice is one or the other, at least in Sub Rosa, I can say morally this is wrong, and here's why. Right. Mm-hmm. I can look at that and go, man, we're really imparting some bad values there. And I wish. And so it gives me a chance to think about, OK, what would be better things to think about or better things to do? Right. Yeah. It might start a conversation. Uh, this I just want to yell because how much money, how much time uh, we're now under. Hang on a second. I, I said I'm bad at math. We either only get 10 or 11 more Picard stories. Yeah. That's it. Unless you want to start reading novels or comic books, we only get Picard 10 or 11 more times. We only get Data 10 or 11 more times. We only get Riker 10 or 11 more times. I could keep naming characters, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> Worf, we get plenty going forward. I understand that. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, we're we're running out of we're running out of time on this show. And every time we, you know, turn it on and watch something that I could just as easily, I could have gotten as much Star Trek watching an episode of Iron Fist. As I got watching this, I could have gotten as much watching an episode of Grassy High. Heck, maybe more, because maybe they do morals on that show. I don't know. I've never watched a Grassy High. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm back to, and look, I know this show ended over 20-something years ago, <laughs> but as we're watching it play out again, it's like, wow, I saw the most horrible car wreck earlier. Um, but I got video of it, so I'm going to watch it again repeatedly. Ugh, it's just bad. It's just bad, man. But uh, but what are the messages? <laughs> well, I was just <laughs> so. Did, but did we already nail the message, and and it was it just this accidental sort of anti-science? Like, oops, well, we screwed up DNA because we're bad at medical science. Sorry, sorry, Barclay, for turning you into a spider and infecting the entire crew. Yeah, maybe just as much though as your whole thing about no self-diagnosis. Because yes, mm-hmm. while Beverly trying to cure this thing is what set the whole thing in motion, Barkley being convinced that there was something wrong with him based on absolutely nothing. I mean, she was like, "Yeah, you've got this one tiny little abnormality. It really isn't anything, but I'll go ahead and fix it anyway." Yeah. So I, that doesn't even count, though, does it? No. Okay. None of it counts. No. All right. There, there is that, no That is true. Uh, yes. Not unlike masks, none of it counts. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry does so much stuff, especially podcasts. Maybe more than one or two or three. You can check out our show, also Mission Log Live, also Women at Warp, and also Priority One at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show, 
patreon.com slash mission log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Journeys End. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. John and Ken and I have to split. Tired of all this, space junk. We have an uncontrollable urge, gut a gut feeling, that we cannot get no satisfaction. We are through being cool, but we will see you next week. That is good. And transmission.